Is Christianity too narrow? That is the title of our message today, and I'm going to be sharing a message with you that I'm very, very excited about. I feel like God has really given me a a word to share with our our people today. Our text is Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6 this morning. All religions, including even atheism, have their basic tenets, they have their narrow and exclusive doctrines. Think about that with me for just a moment. All religions, including atheism, have a narrow view, they have a myopic view, and in many ways they are uh, exclusive. You say, well, I thought that Christianity were, was the only religion that said that Jesus is the only way. Well, Buddhists say they have a, a way, Islam teaches a way, and atheism says you're all crazy, there is, there is no way. And so, I want to share with you a message today, and I hope that you think deeply and think clearly with me about this exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Is Christianity too narrow? Talking about atheists, I found it very interesting this week that there is the first megachurch of atheists now in London, England. The first, and, and they actually call themselves a church. And they say, well, forgive us Christians, but we're going to borrow your idea of church because we like community. We like to hear a sermon, and we like to fellowship. I thought that was very fascinating to me. In fact, this is a mega church now in London. It's called the One Sunday Assembly, and they are beginning to grow. In fact, there is a chapter in Los Angeles, California, the City of Angels, Los Angeles. They are now uh, getting ready to see this mega church grow and plant there in their own city. Ian Dodd is a 53-year-old atheist, and this is what he says about his church. He says, we will have a godless congregation in the city of angels. The church model has worked really well for a couple of thousand years. We're try- what we're trying to do is hold on to the bathwater while throwing out the baby Jesus, end of quote. So in, re- in reality, it really is a-, a religion, and they have their exclusive doctrines and uh, they have their absolutes, and they have what they uh, believe. But what about Christianity? Why is it uh, that, that, that Christianity is always the brunt and the butt of the end of the jokes? Have you, have you ever noticed that? Even in our country, it seems like Christianity is the one that is picked on, if you will, yet I think that's very disingenuous because all religions, including atheism, as I just read, have their, have their absolutes, they have their exclusivity, they have their myopia, they have their narrowness, uh, if, if you will. You say, well, that's not true because uh, people tell me all the time, they say, well, I just can't hold to your absolute truth. And I ask them, do you hold to that absolutely? And they say, yes. I say, well, there you go. You have absolutes as well, as well as I do. I'm going to share some terminology with you. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and break this down uh, so that you can stay with me. Universalism believes everybody goes to heaven when you die. If there is a God and if there is a heaven, no worries. Don't, don't worry about anything. When you die, you're going to heaven. Pluralists believe that salvation comes through every religion. It's the Oprah Winfrey view of theism. She said, and I quote, there has to be another way beside Jesus Christ. He simply cannot be the only way to truth, the only way to heaven, and that's Oprah Winfrey's uh, theology. And then there is what we call inclusivists. Inclusivists believe that it was imperative that Jesus die. And because Jesus died, everybody gets to go to heaven because of what He did. 
And it doesn't matter if you know this, epistemology says it's knowledge. They say that's not really important. What's important is ontology. What's important is the essence of it, that the act happened, Jesus died for the sins of the world, and whether you know Him or not, everybody goes to heaven. And yet Christianity, or at least biblical Christianity, says, no, not really. You know, I love when Larry King asked uh, Al Mohler. Al Mohler is one of our great theologians in, in the world today, really. He's the president at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and oftentimes he is the spokesman for Southern Baptist theologians and our congregations, and and Larry King says, wait a minute, (laughs) you're telling me that the Muslims got it wrong, and the Buddhists got it wrong, and the atheists got it wrong, and everybody got it wrong except you as a Christian. Do you really believe that? How can you say that? And Al Mohler said, I didn't say that at all. And I thought, oh no, (laughs) what is he about to say? He said, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father unless he comes through me. Now that's what Jesus said. Peter said it this way in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, that is the clear uh, gospel truth, that there is a narrowness and exclusivity that we as Bible-believing Christians, we hold to this. We didn't create this. We are not the originators, the genesis of this. We are only the perpetuators of it, that we, we've received it and we, and we pass it on. Now, if you think for the next few minutes, give or take, few is relative, okay, few minutes, if you, somebody really got it over here, amen. If, um, if you think, okay, well, he's about to give this great apologetic of the exclusivity of Christ, and he is going to, man, he's going to let these atheists have it, and these agnostics have it, and he's about to let the Buddhists have it, and the Muslims have it, and the, and the Hindus have it, and, and Brother Danny, he's going, to, he's going to get up there and demonstrate and prove that Jesus is the only way, and that is not what I'm going to do today. I'm just not, and here's why. 99% of you here today already believe that. <laughs> you Really, you do. Now, there may be a 1% or 2% of you that have come in, and you're inquisitive, and you are, uh, somebody invited you, and you're very open about, well, is Jesus the only way or not? And basically, I've already answered the question and said, yes, He is. Therefore, how do the 99% of us, how are we going to live in light of that truth? How's that? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take it uh, a priori that we already assume and believe that Jesus was telling the truth. By the way, He's the only person who did these supernatural miracles. He's the only one who claimed to be God, and He's the only one that arose from the dead. There are plenty attestations. There are plenty of evidences and proofs. And and like I said a moment ago, it's kind of like our Easter crowd. When I was a young preacher, I used to get up there and give the seven historical reasons for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I had somebody tell me, one professor tell me one time, said, why do you do that? They already believe it. Yeah, you're right. You wouldn't be here today unless you believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. So, in light of that, I want to address the practicing universalist. You said, who, who, who are they? The practicing universalist is this person. I believe that Jesus is the way, 
but I don't live like it, and I don't talk like it. And there are many, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of practicing universalists at Great Hills Baptist Church this very morning, because you never share your faith, you never go on a mission trip, you, you don't even walk across the street to tell the person that, but you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and if you die, you're going to hell. You really don't, you must not believe that, because if you did, then you would walk across the street to your neighbor, you would sign up and go on these short-term mission trips, you would give, you would go, you would pray, you would fast, you would do everything in your power to make sure that a lost and a dying world on their way to hell, you said you believed that, yes, they're on their way to hell, well, what are you doing to prevent that and to help people? You say, well, Brother Danny, I'd like it a whole lot more if you just got after the heathen and left me alone because I'm just fine in the way I am. I am fine in my passivity. I am fine in my one-day religion. Don't, don't bother me. I'm going to bother you today. I'm going to bother you in a way that how now shall we live in light of the fact that we say we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Colossians chapter uh, uh, 4, 2 through 6. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to make three very simple declarative statements about us as Christians and how we can live in such a way that we practice what we, what we believe. All right, so let me read it to you. Here we go. Colossians 4.2 says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Now, when he says those who are outside, he's not talking about people who are outside in the cold or in the elements or outside of our building. That's not what he's saying. Paul was very exclusive. He said he really believed if you are in Christ, you're going to heaven. If you are outside of Christ, you're going to hell. And so Paul says, you believe that, church, at, Rome, at Colossae. So how are we to respond to that? How are we to act so we're to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time? Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So, the, the three basic statements are these. Number one, we're going to talk about prayer. Number two, we're going to talk about speaking. And number three, we're going to talk about walking. All right? So, the first thing I want to share with you today is Christianity uh, uh, too narrow? By the way, the answer to that question is yes and no. You say, ah, now wait a minute, Brother Danny. You, would you explain that? Is Christianity too narrow? Yes and no. Christianity is too exclusive and too narrow if it makes you unlike Jesus, and it makes you pharisaical and mean-spirited and always angry and always fighting and always ready to prove a point. Can I share with you, Jesus did not die to make you like that, all right? If that's your view of Christianity, then yes, it's too exclusive. You need to trade it in for the real Christianity. Is Christianity too exclusive? No, because it is one of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. If by exclusive you mean that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. He came and He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross. He arose from the dead and He invites the whole world to come to Him for salvation. That is not too narrow. That is just the truth. But I'm concerned for us, especially in America. The brand of Christianity that we practice, it's, it's mean-spirited and, and it's angry and it's judgmental and it's, it is just almost like I don't recognize that faith. And so, I, I would like for you to trade that in for a genuine, fresh Christianity that's more like Jesus. Gandhi said, I think there would be more Christians. In fact, I think I would become a Christian if I didn't know so many Christians. Did y'all hear that? I find that astounding that Gandhi said, I would be a Christian, but I've met too many, and I don't want the re- religion that they have. Well, I want to peddle a religion, if you will, that people want to have because it makes them right before God. It puts a freshness in their life. It puts a joy on their face. It puts a quick in their step. I'm telling you, my friend, the more we get back to Jesus and the more we emulate Him, I'm telling you, we can't build buildings big enough because people are desperately hungry. People are desperately spiritually thirsty. They really want to know, is God real? Is Jesus really out of the tomb? Then what difference does it make in my life? And so I want want to come alongside of you today, and I want to help you, move you toward a very vibrant, radiant Christianity. I was telling our staff this week in our staff meeting, I said, you know, we say that we are a radiant church that worships God with passion, teaches His Word inwardly, and and we teach it and we believe it. And if we stop right there, then we will become a bunch of Pharisees. We will become a bunch of mean-spirited people if all we are focused on is worship and study, worship and study. I tell you, churches are dead all over the world, and all they focus on is worship and study, worship and study. Listen, there's got to be an upward dimension of worship. There's got to be an inward dimension of discipleship. But in Jesus' name, we've got to take that to the world. I mean, that, that's got to come out of us, and we've got to share it with the world. Be Sea of Galilee Christians receiving from the north and giving it out from the south and being fresh as God just pours through us as we make disciples of the nations. Okay, so here, here we go. Number one, in, in your outline there, you write the word pray. Just pray. Paul says four times, basically, he describes prayer in fourfold dimension. He says, let us pray earnestly, vigilantly, with thanksgiving, and in intercession. And you say, well, wait, wait a minute, brother. I, I thought you were going to fuss and holler and scream at all the atheists and get them right and make them repent. That, that's not my job. That's God's job. My job is to preach this gospel with love, to encourage us to be more Christ-like, more loving, and then watch what God does. So he says, continue earnestly in, in prayer. In another place, Paul says, pray without ceasing. If Christians prayed this way, if if we continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, and then he says, meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door. Listen, guys, if we did that, here, here, listen, prayer tenderizes our hearts, makes us more like Jesus, and makes us more available and open to a lost world. Our greatest problem in America is prayerlessness. 
We have, we have jettisoned prayer, or, or, or here's what a lot of us do. We'll say, well, I'll talk to God in the morning, but I won't talk to Him the rest of the day. Can you imagine me saying to my wife, good morning, and we have a conversation, and then I don't even address her the rest of the day. You'd say, well, you're not a very good husband. Yet a lot of us do that with Christ. You say, well, I can't pray without ceasing. Man, I'd, I'd, run, I'd run over people on the highway. or I, I would, no, That's not what he's saying. Throughout the day, just be thinking about God and calling out to God in prayer. Listen, guys, this will radically change your life because many of you have a quiet time and you live like the devil. You're as mean as a snake because you have, well, I had my quiet time this morning, but I ain't talked to God the rest of the day. I don't need to because I got all the religion I need. No, 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 listen. Paul said, pray earnestly. Look at this, being vigilant in it and praying with a thanksgiving. The Greek word here is proskotoreto. It's a present active imperative. Pray, continue earnestly in, in prayer. The word vigilance means to give attention to, to be disciplined, to be disciplined in your praying. And then I love this part, pray with thanksgiving. You know, praying with thanksgiving keeps your heart kind, and it keeps it soft. Being ungrateful leads to a multitude of sins. And let, let me illustrate this with my own life. I, I'm really embarrassed what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's very much an indictment on me. I'm still going to say it. There have been times when I have my quiet time, I'm worse off after I've had my quiet time. Because I get in the prayer closet, and, and more I get to thinking, and I get to, I get to pray, and I find myself, I, I'm, why am I getting angry? This is supposed to be a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord, and, and next thing you know, I walk out of the prayer closet, well, I'm glad I have a quiet time, man, I'm, I'm ready to go now. And I, I'm worse off after I prayed than before I, I prayed. And here's the problem, it's because I'm not grateful. I'm not thankful. Listen, if we spend more time thanking God and praising God instead of asking things from God, it will change. Hey, have y'all seen that Snickers commercial? It's really funny. The Snickers commercial, and it's always the guys. They haven't made one about girls yet. I'm, I'm curious about that. Because we guys, we are the ones that get more angry when we get hungry. And every commercial has the same thing. It'll show this guy, and it's really not him. They'll have somebody else, and they're mad, and they're angry at the world, and all the buddies are going, man, would you lighten up? Here, have a Snickers. And he takes the Snickers, and he opens it up, and he, he munches down on it, and shazam! He's back to his old self. You know, he's happy, he's joyful. Can I share with y'all, genuine thankful prayer is the Snickers for the church. That's it. I mean, genuine, thankful praying will change. And I tell you guys, it is changing me. I am watching as I'm enjoying my time with the Lord now. And I spend it like you, about an hour a day with the Lord in prayer, or, or most days I do. And I got to coming out of that prayer closet going, man, I'm more worried and I'm more concerned. And what about this? What about that? Listen, I need to, I don't know if this applies to anybody else, spend more time thanking God and less time complaining to God and asking God. That kind of prayer. Pray with vigilance. Pray constantly. Pray uh, thankfully. And then look at verse 3. Paul says, pray for me that God would give us 
an open door for the Word. Ah, listen to this. Paul said, would y'all pray for me that God opens a door and that I will boldly go through that door? It reminds me of Ephesians 6.18. It says, pray in all ways with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the sin, watch this, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And Paul says, please pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Y'all with me? God, please help me that I will open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it, in the gospel, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, this is the greatest Christian who ever lived. The Apostle Paul said, Pray for me that God would open a door. I would have boldness not only to live it, but also to speak it. Can I say this? If Paul needed people praying for him so that he would witness, how much more do we? We need prayer. We need encouragement. We need the fellowship of the body of Christ because here it is. Our message is difficult. Our message is is exclusive. Our message says it's either through Christ or no one. And I'm telling you, there are times when you get timid. There are times when you get fearful. There are times when you're like, man, I don't, I don't really want to share that because nobody's really going to like me. And Paul was human too. He said, pray for me. Be vigilant in it. Be thankful in it. Be constant in it. And pray that God gives us boldness to speak. Point number two, speak. Number two, speak. Two times in our passage, he uses this word, speak. Why does Paul ask them, pray for me to have boldness? Have you witnessed lately? <laughs> have you, no, no, really. Have you, have you shared your faith recently? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because 90 plus percent of you would raise your hand and say, I have not. No, no, really. I'm just being honest with you. 90, probably closer to 95, 98% of you. Hey, Brother Danny, I, I, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 50 years old. Hey, when I was 18, I, I told a guy about the Lord. You know, 50 years ago, I, I shared the gospel. Listen, friend, no wonder we're in a mess. Because we're not praying and we, we're not speaking the word of life with boldness and with compassion. Here's Paul. He's praying for open doors, not doors that are closed that he barges through. He's praying that God would open the door. Look at this word. And that I would speak, speak the words of life to people. Dr. Roy Fish, my evangelism professor in school, he said, if the apostles only lived godly lives, there would be no book of Acts. You see, they coupled a godly life with spoken word. Now, I'm up in some of your grill, and that's okay. I, I don't mind making you upset because here's some of your doctrine. I don't necessarily have to tell people, Brother Danny. I will show people, Brother Danny. Because, you know, speaking's not my thing, but I will serve, I will be humble, and I will do like Francis of Assisi said. And I just want to go on record and say, Francis of Assisi didn't get it completely right. And this is a very popular brand of Christianity today. Uh, preach always and sometimes use words. 
That, that, that sounds cute and cozy, and that's comfortable for us as Christians, but I don't think it's very biblical. I'd rather put it like this, preach all the time, use words, use body, use love, use it all, because people need to hear the gospel, and they need to see the gospel. So speak, speak life. Mm, oh, what's his name? I speak life. Oh, Toby Mac, Toby Mac. He said, who is Toby Mack? I like Toby Mack. I mean, speak life, speak words, speak blessings. And we as the people of God, if anybody ought to be speaking, it should be us. Now, Paul says this, pray that God would give me the utterance to speak the mystery. Now, what is that? What does he mean when he says the mystery of, of Christ? Well, the mystery is that God... In the heart of God, for all time and before time and all eternity, it was in the heart of God to give of His very self, to give His Son Jesus to die on a cross for the sins of the world. That was concealed. That was a mystery until A.D. 4 when Jesus is born and He lives His life and He dies, He rises from the dead. And now the mystery has been made known. And Paul says, pray for me that that which was hidden and that which was in the heart of God, now that which has been manifested to the world, pray for me that I would make it manifest. I wouldn't be embarrassed. I wouldn't be ashamed. But I would speak, speak, speak. Now listen, if Paul had to ask people to pray for him, where does that put us? Surely we can ask people, pray for me. Because when I go to work in the morning, pray that God would give me the boldness that I would reach out and I would speak the Word of God to my friends and to my colleagues, to my neighbors, to everybody with whom I come in contact. You say, but it sounds good, Brother Danny, but you, you, don't, you don't know the people I know. You don't, you don't work where I work. And I, I, I'm just telling you, people, people don't want to hear this. People don't want to hear about a, a God who sent His Son to die and arise, and if I believe, I go to heaven. If I don't, I go to hell. And let me tell you something, my dear friend. Let me be, be, be very, very careful in saying that, because that is your faith. And if you're not practicing it, why don't you just trade it in? If you say you believe it, then why don't you live it? Why don't you live with boldness? Why don't you speak well, Brother Dan, I just told you why I don't speak, because people don't want to hear it. That doesn't matter. We are commissioned by God to speak with boldness the beautiful, glorious gospel. Oh, listen to me, friends. It's only good news if they hear it in time. It's only good news if they hear it in time. Verse 4, Paul says, let us make known the mystery of Christ. Let us Thanarao, make it visible. May we make it real and may we reveal this message of the gospel. And then he says in verse 4 that as I make it manifest as I ought to speak. Are y'all reading the same Bible as I am? Because y'all, some of y'all are looking at me like, I don't know if I like this sermon or not. I don't know if I agree with this or not. I, I, listen, Paul says that I may make it manifest as I ought to. The word there is die, D-E-I. It's the word Jesus used in John 3 when he said, Nicodemus, I know you're religious, but you're going to hell. And unless you are born again, 
you will not see the kingdom of God. You, you, every man must be born again. That's the same word here. You, you know, as I must speak, as I ought to, ought to speak it. Okay, let's talk about walking. We're talking about prayer, speak, and now walk. Walking. Ah, this is going to be fun. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Now Paul says, you're praying for me and we're speaking it, and now let's make sure we live it. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And then he comes back to speaking again. It's really interesting because you can't separate your walk with God from your talk with God. He says, let us walk in wisdom, a present active imperative verb. The word literally means to live in such a way. Conduct yourself in such a way with those who are on the outside. Now again, this is the exclusive message of Christianity. Those who are in Christ are going to heaven. Those who are outside of Christ, they're not going to heaven. So what are we going to do about it? No, really, what... (laughs) What are we going to do about it? If, listen, guys, if we don't believe this, we're in big trouble. Because if we don't believe in the exclusivity of Christ and that Jesus is the only way, then, then, then we have abandoned the gospel. We have neutered the gospel. We have made it very lame and tame and mild and meek. And, and we have exchanged the exclusive gospel for this inclusive, warm, fuzzy, unitarian, universalistic, pluralistic, inclusivistic, and and many of you are okay with that. No, you really are okay with it because that's how you live. And I'm going to come alongside of you and say, don't be okay with that. Pray. And and, and pray like it all depends on on you and, 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 and really... And then go out as if it all depends on God and and pray and and speak and walk with wisdom. Paul says, as you're dealing with people on the outside, be wise as a serpent and be harmless as a dove. And and I was taking a class in in seminary. I was telling somebody about this this week. um, Every MDiv master student has to take at least one music class and one education class. And I was like, okay, I'm not here to study music and education, but that's what you want me to do. That's what I'll do. And, I, and it took me four years to get a master's degree. And it would take you that long, too, if you had to do 96 hours in the, in the old days. That's a lot of hours. And so I'm studying, and I go into this class, Dr. Lawrence Klimpnier. He's about my height, no hair. I can just see him sitting, standing up there teaching our class. And you know, isn't it interesting how sometimes we think we know it all. We don't know hardly anything. Why am I sitting in an education class? How hard is it to, to grow a Sunday school class, for heaven's sake? I mean, invite people to come, grow the class, to go on, let's talk about the gospel. And, and Dr. Clinton and I stood up, and he said something that just penetrated my heart. He said, young men, young women, we can teach you a lot of things in seminary, but we cannot teach you common sense. <laughs> that is so true. Paul said, walk in common sense. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside of the faith and redeem the time. I love that word, to to purchase the time. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians 5.16. He says, redeeming the time, same word, because the days are evil. Let me tell you just how evil they are. They are evil today just like they were in Paul's day. In, In fact, 
You think we live in an inclusivistic, universalistic, pluralistic society? It's nothing like Paul's society. I mean, Paul would go to Athens with the whole Parthenon and pantheon of God and goddesses, and he would stand up in boldness and he would say, God loves you and Jesus is the only way. And people would just pick up stones and they would try to, they would try to kill him. That's why we got to walk with prayer and walk with humility and walk with wisdom. One writer puts it this way. I love this way he describes redeem the time. To redeem means to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make the time our own. So we do good deeds, and we're kind, and we speak the truth in love. And as we do that, we are redeeming the time. Paul says this. He says, let your speech always be with grace. Did y'all see that? Let your speech always be with, with grace. Can we stop there for just a minute and look at this? I, I, Proverbs twenty two eleven. Boy, God gave me this word in my quiet time. I've been reading Proverbs for 10 years. Every day I read a chapter of Proverbs. But... Um, this past week, as I was reading Proverbs twenty-two eleven, it was like I'd never seen it before. It said, "He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend." And Paul's saying the same thing: Let your speech always be uh, with grace. I mean, being kind, speaking the truth in love. But watch this: He said, "And let your speech be seasoned with salt." Do y'all see that? I'm in verse verse 6. Listen, let your speech be seasoned with salt. He did not say let your speech be saturated with salt. Let me ask you a question. What would you rather eat? Would you rather eat food that needed a little salt? Or would you rather eat food that had been saturated in salt? Listen, you can stomach the former, but you will vomit the latter. And a lot of times we as Christians, we, we, we come across ignoramusly. We come across, you know, as just mean-spirited, unkind. Some of you are looking at me today going, you mean I can, I can believe in Christ and still be happy? And I can still be kind? Oh, my word. I don't know if it's true. It is true. I think Jesus Christ was the most kind, loving, fun, incredible human that ever lived. And yet, he's the one who said, if you don't believe in me, you're going to hell. He lived it. He spoke it. He believed it. Well, I don't know if I can do that, Brother Dan, because I don't know how people are going to receive it. That's not your responsibility. That's God's responsibility. You're to live it and to be seasoned with with salt and and, and be gracious. Look at verse 6. That then you will know how you ought to answer uh, everybody. I'm going to go to James 1.19, guys. I'm going to skip the next verse, and I'm going to go to James 1.19. It says this. I love this verse. So then, my beloved brethren... You know, by the way, this, this book is written to brethren. This book is written to Christians. Now, those that don't know Christ can, you know, be saved and you can come into the faith. But if you are a Christian, this, this book is addressed to you, all right? He says, brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get mad. Have you ever noticed God gave us uh, two ears and one mouth? you ever noticed that? I tell you, I'm sitting in my Explore God discussion group, and I'm pitiful. I am pitiful. Because all I want to do is speak. 
I just want to talk. And, and, and I'm in my neighborhood, and it's like, I just, I just need to take a chill pill. I probably ought to just be quiet. Because somebody's an atheist in the group, and they say stuff, and I'm like, that, that's not right. I mean, what, what, I want to say, what, what do you, when did you start believing that? That's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard in my life. And God says, would you be quiet? Just be quiet. Listen, you might learn something. I said, well, I'm not going to learn anything from him, Lord. I mean, he's an atheist. He's a heathen. I need to tell him, tell him, tell him. And God says, would you be quiet and just listen. Listen to the man. Honor the man. It doesn't mean you have to believe what he believes, but listen to him and then speak. I tell you, this sermon's just eating me up. I, I, y'all all may be little angels out there with halos over your head, witnessing to everybody, loving everybody, just sweet as you can be, kind as you can be, strong as you can be. But I'm telling you, this sermon's all up in my world. Because, I, I, you know, my problem sometimes is not that I, that I share, it's that I share when I should be quiet. And I should listen more. Because, listen, after you listen to people, they're much more in a position to hear you speak. Mm, speak life. Speak life. Speak joy. Speak words of truth. But also, listen. Pray, speak, and walk. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me show y'all something. The Lord gave me this this morning. Y'all ready? Let me see your right hand. That's your left hand. Right hand, all right? All right, watch this. Watch it. The Lord gave me this this morning. It's very simple. You touch your head, say, God, give me wisdom. All right? God, give me wisdom. Touch your lips and say, God, help me speak. And touch your heart and say, God, help me live it. Isn't that simple? God, give me wisdom. Then God, let me speak. And then God, let me live it. I got a new buddy, and I want to tell you about a new friend of mine, and then, then we're going to go. You say, it's only 12 o'clock, brother. What's wrong? You feeling all right up there? You, you doing all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I want to tell you about a, a, a new friend, uh, uh, chairman of our deacons, Andy Spencer, introduced me to this man. And uh, his name's Bubba. I know some of y'all are going, Bubba. <laughs> that's the countryfied name if I ever heard it. Bubba. That's what his name is. Bubba will tell you in his own words, and he's, he's got a very country accent, by the way. You say, I told you. You know, that's, that's a Bubba right there. He speaks like a Bubba. Talk. I bet Brother Danny even looks like a Bubba, huh? Bubba's his name. He said all I ever wanted to be in life was a cowboy. He said, I went through life, and having horses and ranches and farms. He said, he said God, that's, that's all I want to do is be a cowboy. He accepted Christ as his Savior. He met the love of his life, Beth. They had two sons, and they moved 88 miles away from Laredo, right on the border, and guess what he did? He was a cowboy. He was a bona fide cowboy. His day consisted of getting up, eating breakfast, getting on his horse, getting on his horse, and, and riding out on the Mexican border, and if livestock had, had, had drifted over to America or, or drifted over to Mexico, his job was to grab the livestock, bring them back over here, or take them back over there. He said, I was the happiest person in the world. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You're happy doing it? He goes, yes. 
Man, I'm out in the open air. I've got my wife that loves me. My boys love me. We got this ranch. We've got horses. He said, I woke up every day going, do I really get to live this life? Then he said, God started messing with me. God asked me one day in, his, in my spirit, he said, are you willing to give this up and serve me as a pastor? Be a rancher of a different kind? And Bubba was like, um, I don't know about that, Lord. That's, uh, that means I'd have to give this up. And through a process of, of prayer and just really seeking the Lord, he felt that God was asking him, and by the way, as I watch people in Austin, Texas, I am finding that they're more interested in Christ and Christianity, what it can do in a person's life, more than theory, knowledge, and how much we know. Let me, let me say that again. People in Austin are more interested in the effect of Christianity and does it really work than how much apologetics and knowledge that, that we have. And when I say things like, yeah, God spoke to Bubba, and you're like, really? God still speaks to people? Spoke to his heart. He told Beth, he said, God's calling me. What if you were Beth, by the way? <laughs> I didn't marry a preacher. If you lost your ever-loving mind, I, I, no, I'm not going to be a pastor's wife. No, no. She didn't do that. In fact, it, Bubba sold his ranch, had an old cedar post out in the barn that held the barn up, he, he went out of that cedar post and grabbed a hold of it and started crying like a baby. He said, God, i got to give this up. This is all I ever wanted. And his wife came, laid her hand on his shoulder and said, Bubba, God's called you to preach. Let's go. Sold it all. Went to a Baptist college, got his bachelor's degree. Went to Southwestern, got his master's and doctorate degree. Today, Bubba Stahl is the pastor not too far from here, at First Baptist Church of Kingsland, Texas. And Bubba, he, you know, he, he just has this way about him that is very, very sincere and genuine. In fact, he's created a ministry. Y'all ready for this? I even wrote it down. I don't want to miss this. The ministry is Salt Block Ministries. Salt Block Ministries ministries. When I read, let, let your speech be seasoned with salt, I, I read on his website, it says, the name Salt Block Ministries comes from the mineral supplement, the mineral supplement blocks used on ranches, which provide the essential minerals that are lacking in the diet of both livestock and wildlife. And I thought, God, you're so smart. What if we were human salt blocks? That we were providing the nutrients and the spiritual minerals that people so need. Let me give you the, the end story of Bubba Stahl. Really, it's only beginning. God's got his hand on him. God's using him in an amazing way. Those two boys, those two sons, were y'all listening to me a minute ago when I said he had? How many wives? One wife. How many boys? Guess what those two boys are doing today? They're not preaching. One's an orthopedic surgeon and the other one's another medical doctor who has his own family practice. Be careful with people. He's old Bubba. I bet he's about as educated as a bug. You know what I'm saying? I bet he's about as smart. Let me tell you something. Don't judge people. Because here this guy is. God is using him in an amazing way through the salt block ministry. I, want, I wish I had a big salt block. I'd be like an old cow and just 
Lick it. Lick it. Some of you young people are going, Brother Danny lost his mind. No, Brother Danny was raised on a farm. Well, life on a farm's kind of laid back. Something a country boy can't have. Thank God I'm a country boy. That's right. That's what I am. I'm just a, I'm just a educated country boy. <laughs> salt block, mercy. I would never lick a salt block. I'm going to tell you. Cow's got a tongue that big, and that, it just licks that salt block up. And that salt provides nutrients and minerals and helps that cow live. We are the salt block of Austin. And we are to, not people physically lick it, but we are to give people this nutrients and supplements. And, and we are to pray in such a way, God continually praying to you, not just in the morning, but during the afternoon, during the evening time. Talk to you, God, all day, just in tune with you, praying, 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 and speaking, speaking, speaking. God, would you give me an opportunity? After I've listened, two ears, one mouth, amen. After I've listened, after I've loved, I speak. I speak the words of life, not just live it. Absolutely, we got to live it, but we also have to speak it. Let me say it one more time. If the apostles did not speak it, we wouldn't be here. We would, listen, they may think you're a good atheist. They may think you're a humanitarian. They may think you're a Buddhist. They may think you're a Hindu. You say, well, how would they? Well, they're not going to know unless you tell them. Speak. Speak like, speak it, baby. Speak, speak. You say, well, I don't know, brother. And I get mighty nervous when I go to witness. Just, just quote John 3, 16. Just tell them, say, God loves you. He sent Jesus. He died. He was awesome. He arose from the dead. You want to go to heaven? Serve him. Man, man, that's good. Let me give it to you one more time. God loves you so much. Jesus came down from heaven. He died. He arose. And you serve him. Love him. You'll go to heaven. Woo! Son, that is evangelism 101. How many of y'all think you can do that this week? Don't raise your hand because you all can. Just go up to somebody this week and say, man, I love you. God loves you. Jesus died. He arose. Serve him. Come on to heaven with me. I'm going to make a Baptist dance, jump rope or something. You know, that is so simple, and that is so awesome to do that. Exclusivity of Christ, you better believe it. We're going to live it, speak it, pray it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it challenges us. Because, Lord, we love you, and yet, Lord, we miss so many opportunities to serve you, to speak for you, to walk in wisdom. So would you please forgive us, God? Have mercy on us, number one, when we clearly should speak and we don't. And mercy on us, number two, when we speak and we get mad and we get angry and we don't listen. God, would you help us find that sweet balance of providing salt of the earth, light of the world, Christianity that is attractive. Oh, Jesus! We would be attractive and winsome and kind and as strong as you. That people would look at us and people would hear from us life, forgiveness, joy. God, help us to cherish and maintain and hold on to the doctrines of the faith. God, those are non-negotiable. Lord, we don't get to rewrite the Bible. But we do get to live it with love. So please, God, help, help me. Lord, help me do better. Please help me do better, Lord. I, I talk too much sometimes, and I want to listen better. Would you help me listen better and love people more, more, more like Christ? 
with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, we're going to have a public invitation this morning. And we're going to stand in a moment, and we're going to sing praise unto God. And, and maybe you're here today, and you would say, you know, God convicted me, and God revealed my need today, and, and I know I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus loves me, and He died for me and arose from the dead, and I'm ready to serve Him. I'm ready to give my life for Him. He said He's the way, the truth, and the life, then He backed it up with the way He lived, the way He died the way He arose. And so I'm, I'm putting my faith in Jesus alone today for salvation. And I want to tell you, friend, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, bless your soul. Welcome to the family of God. Let us meet you. Let us encourage you this very day. Others of you are here today, and man, really, 90 plus plus percent of us are here today. We would claim that we know Jesus, we love Jesus, and we're going to heaven. But in reality, we are practicing universalist. Would you ask God today, touch your head, touch my head, Lord, with wisdom. Touch my mouth, Lord, with gracious, salty lips. And touch my heart, God, so that I will be kind and I will live it throughout this week. Maybe you're here today, my friend, and you would come forward today and just kneel at this altar and say, God, I've got a lot of growing to do in this area. Would you please help me? Others of you here and Bless your heart. God has spoken to you. He is drawing you to our church family. And, man, come on to our new members class. We, we want to tell you what it means to be a part of this radiant church. God's put it on your heart. Why don't you come? So, Father, thank you again for our time of invitation, for the lives that are about to be touched and changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you stand. Terry's going to lead us in our song. we got pastors, counselors here. Why don't you come? Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you today.